Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Alison Gilliland, the Lord Mayor of Dublin and Labour Councillor, who around halfway through her term has announced details of Bridget 2022 on February 1st. It's a whole range of free events around Dublin City in celebration of women. We had a great conversation covering a lot of different topics, including her feminism, which was not necessarily something encouraged at home on the farm in rural Monaghan. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one because I grew up in a very, as I said, rural would be quite a, a conservative household. My mother often calls me the black sheep. And sometimes, you know, in, she says, I, I often wonder, did I bring the wrong baby home from the hospital? So it was obviously there from a very young age. I know I am very headstrong uh, or stubborn. Loads more from the Lord Mayor of Dublin later on. But first, I wanted to bring you a roundup of some stories about women this week. In Poland, you're going to have probably read about a very sad and rage-inducing story. A report from the Guardian newspaper showed how a young woman died on Tuesday after doctors refused to perform an abortion when the fetus's heart stopped beating and her family have accused the Polish government of having blood on their hands because abortion is outlawed in almost all circumstances there, as we have discussed on this podcast before. And obviously for us here in Ireland, this story has resonances with Savita Halepanaver, who was denied an abortion in a Galway hospital back in 2012 and subsequently died. The woman in Poland is identified only as Agnieszka T, and she was said to have been in the first trimester of a twin pregnancy when she was admitted to the Blessed Virgin Mary Hospital, the irony is not lost on us, um, last December, the 21st of December. And her death came as a year, a year after Poland introduced one of the most restrictive abortion laws in Europe. According to a statement released by relatives, the 37-year-old was experiencing pain when she arrived at the hospital, but was fully conscious and in good physical shape. The first fetus died in the womb on the 23rd of December, but doctors refused to remove it quoting the current abortion legislation and Agnieszka's family claim her state quickly deteriorated after that. The hospital waited until the heartbeat of the second twin also stopped a week later and then waited a further two days before terminating the pregnancy on the 31st of December. Agnieszka died on the 25th of January after weeks of deteriorating health. Her family suspect that she died as a result of septic shock, which, as you know, is how Savita died. But the hospital did not identify the cause of her death in a statement issued on Wednesday. 
and her death follows that of a woman known as Isabella last September who died after being denied medical intervention when her waters broke in the 22nd week of her pregnancy um, and her family claimed the 30-year-old was denied an abortion or a caesarean section and that the hospital cited the country's abortion laws. Um, an investigation found medical malpractice led to Isabella's death and the hospital was fined. So that uh, story of abortion still very much carrying on in Poland. And we have so much solidarity with the women and the activists there. And we'll hope to return to, to that issue. But it's just in the meantime, very, very sad for that woman's family and for all women fighting for their rights in Poland. Now, closer to home, the Women of Honour, who are a group of former Defence Forces members who detailed allegations of sexual abuse, harassment and discrimination in the Irish military, have said they are deeply disillusioned with the Minister for Defence, Simon Coveney. Uh, Coveney announced on Tuesday an independent review was going to be established to examine the issues relating to sexual misconduct, bullying, harassment and all the rest in the Irish Defence Forces. And the group Women of Honour met with Minister Coveney in advance of the announcement because they were concerned that a planned review of the issue would be limited in its powers, in particular that it would lack the power to compel witnesses to testify. And the group Women of Honour have said the meeting with Coveney was a waste of time. They walked out after an hour as the minister said he was not prepared to change his position. They said the minister still refuses to commit to a statutory inquiry. Instead, he is insisting on proposing a weak administrative review. And as a group, we will not participate in the minister's review as it is pointless and shameful. In effect, he is proposing a review that would see his own department review itself, progressing in a manner that would heavily bias any process before it even begins. And the group also said it had been very clear in expressing dissatisfaction to what is proposed by the minister in this regard. And we are hoping to talk to the Women of Honour on the podcast very soon uh, to see how that story continues. Those women are so brave, incredible, if you saw Katie Hannan's documentary about it. So uh, a lot of work being done there and clearly more to be done. Uh, another more positive story at home is that there's a dramatic 73% fall in the number of births to teenage mothers in Ireland over the past 20 years. Now, it's one very stark lone statistic, but it sort of reflects how Irish society has changed. This is all in a new document, Information Summary about Teenage Pregnancy in Ireland, 2000 to 2020. It's going to be published by the HSE and it takes a research-based look at how that has been achieved. And it is something to be celebrated because sometimes these, you know, positive developments, I mean, 73% reduction, sometimes these developments go under the radar. Uh, a lot of the time we can look at what's going wrong. And this is something that's definitely going right. Maeve O'Brien, who's the interim programme leader with the Sexual Health and Crisis Pregnancy Programme, said that teenagers can be stigmatised in a particular way. But when you look at the data, they're doing brilliantly because they're supposed to do so. And we just want to make that point she and her team in the health and well-being section of HSE strategy and research, they tracked and analysed the figures for teenage births. And the summary of their findings is available on sexualwellbeing.ie. It concludes that teenagers in Ireland today are more likely to remain in education and more likely to make healthier lifestyle choices than in the past. So that is some good news. And finally, we want to sort of return to the echoes of that story in Poland. At home, the abortion review is underway and the National Women's Council have asked us to mention to you that the public consultation process is still very much open for submission. 
Now, the repeal referendum obviously meant that women can access abortion care at home as an essential part of their reproductive health care. But there are still loads of issues, including lack of geographical coverage, no legislation for safe access zones and ambiguity in legislation for terminations relating to fatal fetal anomalies. And they're just some of the ongoing issues when it comes to accessing abortion. So the consultation process is open to everyone and it's not just for those with a direct experience of abortion. So if you supported someone through an abortion or if any other experiences of accessing abortion in Ireland, you should really submit to the consultation because they need as many consultations as possible if abortion access is going to be improved. So we're going to put the the details of how you can make a, a consultation in our programme notes. So do have a look and make your views heard if you can. Now on to today's podcast. There has been an awful lot of talk about Bridget, the goddess, the saint, the amazing woman and about the new bank holiday. And the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland, has decided to make a real celebration of it. She is inviting everyone to join in celebrating the contributions and achievements of women past and present next week on February 1st for Bridget 2022 Dublin City Celebrating Women. Now, Bridget has long been associated with creativity, wisdom and the traditional Gaelic festival of Imbolc. And the Celtic goddess Bridget will serve as an inspiration for this exciting new programme of events. Well, we wanted to talk to Alison Gilliland about that, but also about being the 10th female Lord Mayor of Dublin, about her quest to make Dublin safer and more inclusive. We talked about her experiences with sexual assault while going for a run when she lived in Spain. Uh, She also had an experience where her drink was spiked in a pub in Dublin. So she has real personal experience and reasons for and motivations for wanting to improve things in the city. And we also talked about the lasting legacy she hopes she can leave behind after her term as mayor. I hope you enjoy getting to know the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland. Here is our conversation. Alison, you are only the 10th woman to be Lord Mayor of Dublin, but I imagine it's not something that when you're a little girl, you're dreamt about. No, not not in the least, Roisin. I didn't even dream about being a local politician when I was when I was a little girl. Uh, I grew up in Monaghan, so Dublin was a, a long way away from me. I grew up in a very rural community on a farm, and I suppose my my first exposure to Dublin was coming up to Dublin Zoo, which was a, a lovely memory. And then I actually went to a a boarding school for the last two years of my secondary school in Dublin, Kalashtamovi, Olas, Gwelga. And that really was my initiation into the city. And I have to say, I do. I absolutely love Dublin. Uh, Went to college here. I have to say, I did tell a fib to my parents because when we were in boarding school, we were only allowed home every six weeks. And I told him the same regime applied in college uh, and I got away with it. So, yeah, I, I left the city for six years. Uh, I'm one of those graduates in the previous recession and I went to teach in Spain. I, I trained to be a teacher, so couldn't get a job here. So I taught uh, English over in Spain uh, for six years. And lucky enough, when I came back here in 1995, uh, I more or less walked into a job in, in teaching out in Our Lady Immaculate in Darndale. I was there for six years, really loved it. Then went to um, Swords Educate Together. It's an area I was interested in, the whole idea of ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, non-religious patronage. And from there, I applied to the INTO, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, Teachers Union. I was an active, um, I suppose, on the ground there for a job. 
and uh, they gave me a job in professional development. I later went on to become their equality officer and that, that's literally my stepping stone from there into politics was very easy because it's, it's the same sort of activism, fighting for, for what you believe in. Um, became a local councillor for the Labour Party in 2014 and yeah, as you said, just a, seven months now ago, became the 10th Lord Mayor of Dublin City. Yeah. So we've come to you sort of halfway through halfway through your tenure. But take me back to the beginning, because I, I imagine they were some big shoes or big red trainers anyway to fill of Hazel Chu, because she was quite a high profile Lord Mayor and another woman as well. She was the ninth. You were the tenth. Did you feel that pressure to continue, uh, you know, the visibility of the role and to really make it your own? Well, I, I think every Lord Mayor has their own particular priorities uh, when they come into it. And uh, Hazel did an excellent job, particularly promoting diversity in the city and, and highlighting issues of racism and harassment that, uh, unfortunately, many of our citizens who would identify with uh, non-white general ethnicity would suffer in the city and she did an excellent job with that and I suppose I've carried that on to a certain extent. I'd be very conscious of being inclusive. Uh, this Christmas I did a new backdrop for the crib that was um, I suppose a canvas of Dubliners of all shapes, sizes, colours, abilities, uh, sexual orientations, very much saying that our city is made up of an amazing diversity of people. And that's what makes it so special. And that's what gives it its character. And I suppose the, the other area that I, I very much want to profile is women and, and, and gender, women and girls, and be a good role model for women and young girls in the city. But I wanted to ask you a bit about that because you mentioned there that you did go away for a while and you have spoken uh, before about a sexual assault that happened to you while you were going for a run. And I was thinking about it when I was reading it, that how Ashling Murphy, obviously it, it, it resonated with all of us and the whole country indeed. But as someone who has been attacked while running, it must have been one of those moments when you heard about it. Yeah, and it, it really does bring you back to moments like that that you've had in your own life. And I suppose... I'm sitting here talking to you and realizing, you know, how lucky I was that it, it was just, I suppose, a physical grabbing of me as opposed to somebody intent on taking my life. Uh, and I think that's the real concern that women have is around that the person that's laying their hands on them, that unwelcome hand, how far are they going to go with it? And and every woman does feel it, you know, when, when we go out and about. I try not to think about it. I, I run around the city twice or three times uh, every week early in the morning. But it, it is a concern. And I, and I do think that was a, a game changer, I suppose, for me in hindsight, I didn't report it. I just ran home and, and and sat there. And I suppose like an awful lot of people, you you try and put it out of your minds because you don't want to deal with it. Where were you, Alison? Tell us about the circumstances. I, I was leashy no more than I, than I do here in Dublin. I just have particular running routes and I was running. It was about half seven in the morning and it was on a street. It wasn't it wasn't in a park. Which country were you in? I was in Spain. Okay, so you were on the street in your normal route that you took. Yeah, just just, just running on the street. I'd normally do three, four, five k, and I could see a man walking towards me. Now he 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 was walking a little bit 
that did sort of, I suppose, grab my attention and I could see him and you know the way if you're meeting somebody run you'll, you'll try and you know make your path you don't want to bump into anybody but he he was almost intentionally coming towards me and he literally just grabbed me between the legs and let go thankfully I suppose it was forced meeting force and I was stronger because I was running but I was absolutely shocked it obviously hasn't affected you in terms of you You still go out for your morning runs. But um, yeah, to your point that every woman feels it. And I suppose if you've actually had that experience, you, you must feel it even more than maybe those of us who, who only have the fear and not the experience of an actual I, I suppose I, I'm conscious, Roisin, that it is quite random. Um, that it's definitely not every man out there. And in fact, more women are in danger behind their own doors of their own homes than they are on the street. And I, I do think it, it's good to put it in perspective. Yes, absolutely. It's an awful, awful thing, uh, whether it's minor, major or as happened to Ashton, res- results in a death. It's absolutely terrible and not something that should be dismissed. But when you when you look at the broader context of violence against women, it is very random. And as I said, there's there's more women in danger and suffering abuse, whether that be physical, emotional, financial, sexual on a daily basis in their own homes. And that's something that's not visible. That's something that doesn't hit the headlines. I think that's more concerning because women learn more to live with it, particularly if they have children and that I'm protecting my children. And then there's, I suppose, what, how do I get out of this situation? Uh, He'll always find me. And there is that power that, and there is, there can be that physical difference as well, where it's, it's the strength on it. I've spoken to quite a few women in in my own local women's uh, refuge that I would support and it's a very, very, very complex journey that women need support in. And there's brilliant support out there for them. But that leaving of the home and leaving of the perpetrator, particularly where there's children involved, takes a lot of determination on the woman's part. It takes a lot of support and it doesn't always work. There, there's cases where it's, it's, it's back and forth. And I think the other thing that we need to bear in mind there is that it's not concentrated on any particular income group or class group or ethnicity or age. You know, I I know of a woman in her 70s that has left an abusive husband, you know, and that it again, it's it's every woman could be potentially impacted on. And I think that's why education is so important. And I know there's the whole, the argument where everybody should have consent, um, I suppose classes, but, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's around, and as a former teacher, I'd be very conscious of role modeling good behavior and also breaking down stereotypes between girls and boys in the class that you, you're not seeing. If the, the girl shouldn't, the girls shouldn't be the ones that tidy up the class, that hand out the books, because I, I think then they're viewed as the servants. Almost, it's it's the girl's duty to give and look after. Uh, it's everybody's duty, and I, I think that's from their babies, from their children. I think that we we need to be so conscious of breaking down those stereotypes and expectations. 
It's a massive, massive subject, and there's so much in it. Like you, like you said, um, another thing that happened to you, which I, which we've talked about on the podcast recently, and it seems to be, especially among younger women, a big, big problem, is that you, your drinks were spiked. You and your friend were out, and like I'm actually inc- incredibly surprised about how common this is, and how a lot of young women that we speak to, they just are very conscious of that going out there. They stay together. They mind each other. They're you know, both with needles uh, being spiked with needles and with some um, substances being put in their drinks. Tell us about your experience. And then I just wanted to ask you about making Dublin more safe and inclusive. How do, how does, how do you go about that? Yeah, I suppose myself, my friends have been out a typical Friday night after work, out for a pizza, shared a bottle of wine. And then we went into one of the late night bars for one drink. And it was one because it was the time uh, back in the day. If you didn't get out early, then you were queuing for a taxi uh, for hours uh, and it wasn't particularly nice weather. So we said we'd go in for one, left the drinks in the bar and went out for a little bit of a boogie, came back and finished our drinks. I live in the north side, she was in the south side. And we do, like it's like, you know, call each other, text each other to make sure it was, I suppose it's something that's ingrained in you that that you do this. But I remember feeling really... Um, woozy and sort of like limpish uh, getting home and I thankfully it's only a 10 minute taxi drive up the road um, I don't particularly remember getting out of the taxi I do remember having to pull myself up the up the stairs I, I was on the the second floor no lift and the one thing that I do remember and keeps coming back to me anytime I close my eyes it was like lava lamps I don't know if you if you remember those with the with the colours uh, and even when I had my eyes open, they were there. Um, and that's, and then all the next day, that sort of feeling that, like, like I put my hands up and say, I know what a hangover feels like. Uh, and, th- and this wasn't a hangover. So my belief was that it was spiked. And my friend they had the exact same feeling the next day. And I, I think the one thing routing with it is, and I said this before, it's that it's the intention that the person had when they put that chemical into your drink. Uh, and I, I, I just feel I'm lucky that myself and my friend left when we did. Um, I've heard of cases of, of girls collapsing and, you know, this lovely man supposedly coming and helping you and, you know, doing goodness knows what to you. But it, it's that malice, that intention that they deliberately wanted to to abuse you. And I think it's great to hear young girls when they go out. And I had a friend just say this to myself about her teenage daughter in, she was giving them a lift herself and her friends. And they were strategizing as to what we do. And like, you know, two of us go to the toilet together and there would be always somebody there. And it's the looking after each other. And it's, it's probably the most proactive thing that women can do is look out for each other. And I know as a young person that that can be tempting if you do meet somebody that you want to go off and maybe have an intimate moment on. But, you know, to to keep an eye on each other and uh, really, really important. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're in a position where you can actually, um, I mean, there's only a certain amount you can do, uh, that changes you can make, but it is a, 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 a very privileged position to be in, to be able to look at the city and think, what, what, how can I leave it better than, you know, Absolutely. than I started a, a year ago? So in terms of that, I mean, I know you, you have, um, you, you plans to gender proof the local authority budget and you're interested in what's called an LGBTQI plus freedom city, um, and all those kind of things, gender neutral signs in the city. Tell me about that aspect of your vision for Dublin. I suppose it, it, it's based on the premise that anybody looking around, walking around the city should be able to see themselves in the city. And whether that be male, female, sexual orientation, uh, different ethnicities, which is probably why I the visual that I did for the, the back of the crib was so powerful because it was very visual uh, in it. And we do, I think there is an element of needing to feel safe in the city. And uh, I work very well with Assistant Guard Commissioner Anne-Marie Cagney. She's been fantastic. And we've had discussions on this. And even around, I suppose, we now have enhanced Guard the Visibility on the street, on the LGBT, we do a lot around pride and I think there's a lot of visibility around pride. But in between prides, I think we have to be be more visible. Um, we're retaining the, um, the LGBT flag on some of our pedestrian crosses or right beside the pedestrian crosses. Uh, I want to get a few LGBT coloured benches into our parks, again, a sign to say that you're welcome here. I'm hoping to do an LGBT seminar when we get the the oak room fixed from a ventilation perspective in a couple of weeks, that will sort of bring the groups together and discuss some of the the harder core issues, particularly around healthcare for our LGBT community, homeless accommodation for LGBT community, like there there, there are issues there, and, and that has been identified for us. But yeah, th- th- there's a lot of proposals that I work through with the council. Then you know, there's there's funding, there's autonomy, there's all those issues, but. Uh, if you don't try and you don't ask, you'll never get. And yeah. I'm, I'm a firm and, and believer Alison, in that. The other big issue for Dublin at the moment, before we get on to the lovely Bridget celebrations, which you're presiding over, is housing. Is the fact that there's a feeling that people can't afford to live in Dublin anymore, that they're being pushed out, especially young people. Even, you know, there was an article in the Irish Times the other day about young professional solicitors and all sorts of people who would like to live, you know, near the city or in the city and just they're priced out of it. I mean, is there anything practical you can do or what's your own view of that? Yeah, th- there's two issues that we're looking at. Them. One is vacancy. Um, and I and held the dereliction it- thing is just terrible as well. Yeah, walking around the city, there's a lot of our upper floors that are vacant and aren't used. Uh, and myself and the director of city recovery had a vacancy summit there before Christmas. And we identified, I suppose, the barriers inhibiting those who own those buildings from bringing them back into productive use. So we're seeking a a meeting with the minister 
to, I suppose, give them our experience of it and the experience of those who have tried. So that is very strongly on our radar. And I think if we can get more people living in the city centre, it enhances every aspect of the city centre. The other, um, I suppose, approach that we're very pushing very strongly, you might have heard it this week on the media, is the consultation on our development plan. We have included proposals in that on bill to rent, which there's a massive proliferation of bill to rent in the city. Nearly every single application for a development that comes in is bill to rent. And there's nothing wrong with renting. However, when it's all bill to rent, it means there's very little opportunity for people who actually want to buy. And at the moment, people want to buy because they they know that that is their only long-term security. Rents are very, very high for private rental, particularly in the city centre, particularly in the newer developments. And that is really stretching people, including young professionals. And you can't survive if you're paying 50, 60 percent of your disposable income on rent. And my big worry is what is going to happen when you're 65, 66, 67 and you're heading into retirement and your income drops massively and you're still renting from one of these big developments? You know, you're facing homelessness there. So we have to have a balance. So we're proposing in our development plan that 40% of all of those build to rents will actually be billed to sell so that we have those opportunities and we have that, I suppose, variation, that, that balance of opportunity in the city. So that, that's something I'm pushing on. We're getting a lot of kickback from the builders and developers about the viability because the standards are lower in build to rent compared to build to sell. And I, I absolutely get that. Costs are skyrocketing, inflation, construction sectors going up to 9%. But we also need to build and plan our city for those who live, work and recreate in it. So we need to hear from the citizens on those ideas. And the more we, backing we can get from our citizens, then the better we can argue our case for a sustainably planned city. Okay. Well, I'll encourage our listeners to get in touch with you, Alison, as well. And listen, um, speaking of housing, Hazel was uh, in the mansion house with her partner and her daughter. Have you moved in? Are you on your own? Are you in a relationship? What's your story? No, uh, I'm single, so I'm upstairs on my own. Uh, it's in fun. that huge house rattling around. I've been well, in that bedroom. It's a big. It's quite a big bedroom, the, the main one up there. Yeah, I, I sleep in the bank, so I sort of occupy the, the side of the building and... I still haven't got used to the Lewis running up and down, um, nor the the bottles being collected at um, 10 to 6 in the morning. So, uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's a privilege to live in the city centre and I suppose have the city centre on your doorstep. Uh, And it also enables me to get to know the city centre a little bit better. And I suppose I I get to know the issues in the city centre a lot more. Um, at all hours of the day. So yeah, it, it, it's an absolute privilege to live here and the staff are amazing. It gives a new, I suppose, perspective on remote working where you can actually walk down the stairs to your office and have, you know, an office full of people with you, but just yeah. pop upstairs uh, in the evening when you're finished. I hope you're having some uh, parties there anyway, because it's a nice place for a par- party house, isn't it? We actually haven't had anything here since March 2020. 
Which uh, you can start now because we're, all the restrictions. Hopefully, are yeah. We, we, we have a few receptions uh, lined up. We just have to get to the bottom of the current restrictions with regard to ventilation because there's no windows in our main reception room. Of uh, course, yeah. Yeah, there is a ventilation system in uh, in the ceiling, but it hasn't worked for 20 years. <laughs> So you might get something okay, worse than COVID, dodgy. you know. So, but we're looking where we've. I think they're in today, actually, the engineers okay. to look at we it hope again. To get the ventilation fixed because you've got really exciting events coming up. I mean, we heard so much talk about Bridget in the run up to kind of deciding on the new bank holiday and all of that thing. And the other day, you announced all these brilliant events that are going to happen on St Bridget's Day. Um, tell us why you wanted to do them and tell us all about it. I suppose, as I said, one of my priorities for my year in office was to promote women and girls. And uh, I'm very struck by how many great women, particularly in the past, there were, but how little we know about them. So the idea of Bridget 2022 was to get them to the fore, to acknowledge the contributions that women have made, not just to our city, but across society, to celebrate women and very much promote their contribution in society. So my inspiration goes back to, I suppose, our Celtic heritage and the goddess Bridget, a fierce woman associated with creativity and wisdom, healing and protection. And I suppose that that's more broader concept of being a woman as opposed to uh, our adorable Saint Bridget. Uh, both women share the same day. So it was a, a good fit with regard to where we would put it because uh, International Women's Day tends to be more of an activist's day. So it's based on the idea of Culture Night where you would have an array of various different events so we've panel discussions, we've got cinema screenings, we've got walking tours and we've a fabulous concert in the round room. We have uh, some of the inner city grannies telling bedtime stories. We have the Norwegian ambassador actually telling us about uh, St. Brigitte from Norway. They have won the same and it's 1st of February is their day. We have a lovely um discussion and screening of some Palestinian art and culture and theatre hosted by our Palestinian ambassador, Colombian ambassadors doing something as well. So I basically put a call out to, to, I suppose, people I'd met over my first six months, um, particular females, uh, and they really have to say I am thrilled the way they stepped up and put things together for us. And we have a fantastic array of events happening on the 1st of February and it's just fantastic. I think people have reacted really well to it. It's springtime as well. It's that sort of the beginning of renewal and regrowth, the restrictions being lifted. Now, we didn't anticipate that there would be lifted so immediately. So a lot of the stuff there is online. It's just too late to pivot back to face to face. And I think people are still feeling a little bit nervous about it. But by them being on a, online, it's more accessible to more people as as well. So uh, I'm really excited about it. My vision is that it would grow like Culture Night has. So when we come to 2025, the 1st of February is on a Saturday. I'd love to see the, the city absolutely thralling with people coming out to, 
to celebrate women, to acknowledge women and really recognise their contribution uh, that they've made across all walks of life. I mean, Alison, it will be a great legacy if that happens, like if you were the one to start that. I think those kind of things can be can be so far reaching and and they become part of the fabric of a city and indeed the country, actually, because it's the kind of thing that can spread out to other cities too. But I wanted to, I haven't mentioned the F word yet, but I wanted to ask you about your feminism and where it came from and what, what sort of shaped you as a younger woman. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one because I, I, I grew up in a very, as I said, rural would be quite a, a conservative household. My mother often calls me the black sheep. And sometimes, you know, in, she says, I, I often wonder, did I bring the wrong baby home from the hospital? Uh, so it was obviously there from a very young age. I, I know I am very headstrong uh, or stubborn. Maybe that's because I'm a Taurian. I don't I don't know. Um yeah, I have a strong sense of social justice and fairness and just trying to fight for that and equality because I do think it makes and would make for a better world um, when you just look at all the wars. You know, it's mostly men out there fighting uh, on the streets or provoking them. I also saw my mum, I was having to accede to the traditional expectations of the housewife, uh, support my dad on the farm and was always putting herself at the end of of the row and not being able, I suppose, to do those little things she may have wanted to do. And I remember when my my dad passed uh, away, I said, come on, we're going on a holiday and we'll go wherever you want. And she said to me, I'd love to go to New York. And it was the last place I thought she'd actually say, because I'd maybe go on a nice cruise, you know, nice and relaxing. And I just, I said, how long was she holding that desire inside? And only now can sort of express that. And I think the older I get, the more in awe I am at her patience. Because I, I don't have, I, you know, I'm very solution focused. I wouldn't be the most patient person in the world it's really interesting that you talk about your mum like that. And, and I love that sense that all those years, you know, she would have loved to say maybe, can we go to New York or to, and she didn't. And I, and that's the story of so many women, you know, sublimating their real passions and desires. But it's interesting that she sees you as a black sheep. But have you, have you as a person who fights for equality and has that very much in your heart? Does she see, do you think, is there some sneaking regard for it? Does she understand that sort of your, fighting for stuff that she couldn't have, you know, because of because of the the position of women back then. Yeah, I, I, it was very interesting a couple of years ago. You know, when women become grandmothers, it's just a new phase in their life. So I was sort of saying to her, I said, Mom, don't give them so much sweets. Like, not my kids, my brother's kids. And she turned around to me and she said, and really struck me, she says, listen, Alison, I could never do this for you and your brother and sister when you were young. And I can do it now. And I was going like, you know, yeah, spoil them as much as you want because it was your pleasure. And that, you know, and my mum is not on her own, as as you said, that is it's a generation of women. And I think she probably does recognize it in me. And it's I suppose when I look at my nieces and nephews and it's around, I want the world to be better for them. And I'm particularly conscious of my nieces and being a role model because they are still, I suppose, to a certain extent, growing up in the environments I grew up in. 
and I would be the the auntie that works in Dublin and you know all of this now she's they've other amazing aunts and uncles but but it is that it's okay to be completely different and and I suppose going back to the whole diversity thing and you know it is that message it's okay to be who you are and we all should be okay with everybody being who they are um on the premise that the first premise is do no harm to anybody but yeah and Alison, I'm really uh, I love how you're speaking about your nieces and nephews, too, because when I before I had children, you know, I, I would have considered, you know, my nieces and nephews to be such a huge part of my life, such a huge bond. And I think it's something that's neglected. I think when you're child free or you're not a parent, um, often there can be society's expectations or judgment around that, which which a lot of people are talking more about now, which is great. Uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, because, you know, that that relationship you have with your nieces and nephews is so influential and so important. And especially as you've got this role now and they're up and still in that rural environment. But do you feel there is a judgment around that about a pressure? You know, if people don't have kids, there's something strange going on. Yeah, I suppose, again, it's the cultural norm is to, you know, start and get a long term relationship, start a family, you know, to a certain extent, get married. And uh, it's it's just never worked out for me. Unfortunately, it's not that I don't want that. I'd, I'd love to be in a loving relationship. But I I have brilliant friends. Some of them are married. Some, some of them aren't. Some of them are, are sadly separated. But I do think underpinning it all, there is an expectation of you that this is the path. Uh, because I, I know when I was younger, my dad wanted me to be a teacher, teach locally and marry a local farmer. And, and that would have, you know, kept him very, very happy. But obviously, it, didn't, it thankfully didn't happen. Uh, you know, uh, there's an absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I, I think it was the, my adverse reaction to his view was that he didn't see anything other than what was the norm for me? And um, I'm very, I'm very close to one of my my, my nieces in particular because she lost her mom when she was a newborn. So uh, I've sort of gone through the the sort of the night feeds and you know being there, and to a certain extent that probably wouldn't have happened had I had my own family here in Dublin because I wouldn't have been able to go up every evening after work and, you know, stay the night, do our night feeds and come back to work here. I wouldn't have been able to go up at the weekends and, you know, bank holidays, summer holidays, that sort of thing. Uh, But I really do appreciate the pressure that parents are under. Uh, I absolutely get the worry uh, that they go through. You know, I remember I left her on her first day to preschool and God, I, I worried the rest of the next two hours that we should be okay. And, you know, and I was, and me who's a teacher, you know, the, the rational thing would be, of course, she's going to be okay. She's in good hands. Uh, but, you know, all of that, uh, I'm particularly given knowing the dangers, I suppose we talked earlier about the salts and spiking that, that I have experienced. And not everybody gets over it not uh, people are massively impacted and I'd hate that I just you know th- th- I suppose that's digging down into my deepest fears that something like that and worse would happen to them 
Well, I suppose and, and your kind of work in the city and your work generally is to try and make sure that you can do whatever you can to, to stop that. I'm actually just struck by the fact that you're a single woman there in the mansion house and wondering what the dating scene in Dublin is like at the moment. And is it all on Tinder? Is it all on? And are you able as a Lord Mayor to be out dating? It must be hard. No, oh God, oh, I haven't done anything in two years. I think COVID put a stop to that. Well, maybe now that, that when you know, maybe when your your term comes to an end in in June, and you're I a can bit take more a breath anonymous. and look at person stuff, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, the the Bridget uh, Twenty Two just sounds wonderful. You're doing a couple of talks yourself, particularly about women and and their part in independence on on a panel talk. And there's a great event um, involving roller skating, which I personally yes. want to try. Yeah. I might have a go at that because it's, it sounds fantastic. I think that's down in the IFSC or something It's like that. down in uh, Capital Dock. There's a wonderful group of women down there. It's get your roller skates on them. They give you a, wor- a workshop on, on how to stay up and hopefully move. Yeah, I'll, well. I'll revisit my days when I used to get into the top hat in Dunleary on a Sunday and uh, skate around there. God, that's that's not today nor yesterday, Alison. Now, <laughs> listen, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and getting to know you a bit. You're halfway through now, so a good yeah. bit more to do. But it sounds like you really have a mission and that, that this um, Bridget 22 is going to be hopefully a good legacy for you in a way for, for the city to celebrate women and yeah, in all I, the diversity that you described. Yeah, and and I, I, I would hope it's the beginning of women being brought more to the fore and consciousness about women, women's contribution to our society. Like there's some you know, I'm all, I'm also, I've commissioned a book as well, just looking at women who have passed, very conscious that freedom of the city is hugely gender imbalanced. Uh, so we're picking 77 women uh, that have passed and highlighting them. And, you know, I, as a legacy, I, w- I would like to think that we're all working to achieve real gender balance in our city and across society, because I think if if we can achieve that, it would be... Uh, massive and you know just yeah, well, make the lo- place a little bit better do you have any influence in that because there's only five women in f- 140 years who've had yeah. the freedom of dublin city which is just outrageous yeah. i mean it really boils my blood uh, can you do anything can you make can you throw a few women in oh, there there'll be a few more by the end of by the end of the uh, end of the next six months yeah yeah but I, i'm also conscious in the book of the ones who could have got it had we had a better gender lens back in the day. Yeah, well, you obviously have a, a great gender lens. So I am I hope you'll come back and talk to us when you do to, uh, make some women free women of the city, because it is a disgrace and something that, you know, needs to be fixed. So I'm, I'm really glad that's high on your agenda. But it's been lovely talking to you. Didn't know you were a Monaghan woman, but I, I'll let that slide because it sounds like you've really ingrained yourself in the city and um, you're doing a lot to change it. So thank you very thank much. Thank you Alison. so much, Roisin. Thank you. And that's all we have time for. Thanks very much to Alison Gilliland. And do let us know your thoughts on that conversation. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves. Happy Bridget's Day for next week and I'll talk to you next time. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.